welcome back to part two of the Hennessy Falls podcast, proudly presented by Aloha Surf Manly. Let's talk about Kelly Slater. In your book, he says, Richie is one of the most inspiring people I've ever met and his story is testament to the healing power of the ocean. He's a friend of yours. Yep. Uh, and tell me about your relationship with Kelly and what you see he's done for our sport. Uh, what, what can you say about Kelly that <clears throat> excuse me, hasn't already been said? Uh, I, I, I did... Uh, form a good relationship with Kelly. We're still friends. We still, you know, text every every now and then. Um, we have uh, similar interests in golf. Obviously, there's the surfing background. Um, you know, I have a real uh, background in in hardware and surfboards and fins and all that equipment. And I'm a real equipment geek when it comes to surfing, as he is as well. So there's a there's a few common things that we common interest interests that we share there i played you know countless games of golf with him and i mean he's super competitive he's wired like no other person on the world in on on earth he's so competitive so analytical so driven um so determined in in when he sets his mind to something and that's why he achieved and is still achieving what he's what he's doing today um it's it's a it's a pleasure to watch him transition from the tour and being such a dominant force winning world titles into being a businessman um and still innovating in terms of what he's doing in business you know he's always he's a forward thinker when it comes to um equipment and uh and things like that and even the way he approaches you know surfing now is still innovative um he's changing everything all the time always and you need those people, you know, at the top of the of whatever it is, whether it's you know business or technology or surfing or sport, whatever. You know, he just happens to be the guy that we've got who's flying the flag for surfing. He's doing an amazing job, and I mean, he's he's got so many things going on from the wave pool stuff to you know Firewire and Slater designs to his involvement with the WSL to Outer Known to you know, there's just it's endless what he's doing. Um, but that's that's how driven he is, man. So let's chat about being from Norstein and at that time when you were really doing well on the CT, we had a couple of young guys who were starting to develop their skills and make a push towards a career in the professional ranks. Talk us through your influence and what you did to try to help both Dayan Neve and Kai Otten achieve their goals. Yeah, I... Um there is a sense of responsibility you have when you are successful with anything. And if that, if that success turns into somewhat of a mentor position, um, you know, you got to take that responsibility on. And, and at the time, um, you know, Diane and Kai were both showing really good promise of successful surfing careers. And I wanted to, I wanted to nourish that, uh, nurture that. And, and help them along the way and, and and along those years you know through those years I, I tried my best I, I'm thinking back to a story now where Diane was was um he was on McCoy's at the time this was years and years ago wow. the and McCoy he, era um and it, you know surfboards have had evolved from that McCoy era let's just say that he was he was his equipment was letting him down and I identified that and I said dude like here's one of my boards like he's one of my tour boards, go and ride it, just have a go. And he goes, nah, mate, I'm all right, I'm okay. He is stubborn. 
He is very stubborn. He is um, very stubborn. And I remember the boys just going, dude, I cannot believe he didn't take one of your boards. And like, they were, there was all the crew were going, hey, can I have a ride of it? And I was like, no, I was just, you know, trying to help him out. Um, but eventually he came around and I grabbed him and wrapped him into a couple, towed him into a couple of good surf trips. And I ended up started feeding a couple of boards to him. And, and then he kind of went, oh, okay, now I get it. And that, I'd like to think that that moment or around those, it was those moments then. And we were filming a lot back then. We were doing a lot of surf videos with yourself and Peter Crumpton, a bunch of the local crew, um, you know, and, and those guys, I'm assuming were looking at me going, he's doing okay. And I, and I kind of want to walk in those. Oh yeah. They were shoes. definitely looking at you, you know? and they were feeding off what yeah. you were doing. So, you know, Diane had this natural talent, this natural ability, um, very smooth stylish surfer kai on the other hand was a bit more of a kind of jake patterson-esque kind of workhorse he had to work it um and, and sort of hone his abilities but he had a better a, a much better work ethic than dayan hmm. so and you know he, the, both those guys will attest to that as well you know dayan will go yep 100 percent. so i'm not saying anything that's not true but look at what kai did you know he went on to having 10 years on the championship tour so that's exactly what i did you know i had 10 years on there as well so um kai worked at that um and he had a great career and you know the boys are close friends and i'm, I'm so stoked that you know they're they're in my kind of circle of friends that i call best friends so at that stage your career was going well you're getting really good results at the elite level but injuries started to play a part and one particular injury started to give you a lot of trouble and that was an injury in your hip. Let's talk through exactly what happened during the course of that year that led up to you being diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer. Yeah, so uh, I was on, when I first knew that there was an issue, actually, hang on, rewind. So as, a, as an athlete in any sport, you're going to have issues with your body. It's just, and being relatively tall so i'm six foot on the dot so being tall in a sport that is you know traditionally back then too it seemed like surfers were a bit shorter back then you know and i was relatively tall um you know except if you're nudes yeah except if you're nudes nudes is a bit taller than me um you know my point being is that you're always going to have injuries but i was on a on a surf trip up in indonesia with luke egan and and tommy witz and hoya a bunch of the crew we're up there uh, filming um, for a movie for Electric Sunnies. We were all sponsored by Electric at the time. And we were parked at Macaroni's because Luke Egan was on the trip and he didn't want to go anywhere besides Macca's. For anyone who doesn't know, that's just this perfect little left barrel into a, into a skate park wall that runs down this reef and you can, you can basically do whatever you want on that wave. So we had I mean, a fourth, fifth day at Macca's and I've done you know 3475 backhand hammers and my hip my right hip is just burning so i'm coming in from every section every sec session on the boat and i'm just going boys give me the ice packs because i'm in so much pain here and i at the time i was just on oh it's just repetitive you know my hips just i've done a little done a groin injury or... yeah hip flexors or something so you know i'm i'm chewing painkillers at that point I get back and things settle down a bit, but, you know, it sort of flares up every time I, I go for a surf. So I thought, man, I'm going to go get this checked. And I went and saw my chiro at the time, David Stevens. He was away and I went and saw Glenn Welsh. 
And he goes, let's just get an x-ray and check it out. And so he sent me for an x-ray and then the results came back and the, the ball joint, so the top of the femur, how it's got that little ball on it, that looked like honeycomb when looking at the x-ray and a bone shouldn't look like that. It should, you know, have this beautiful kind of creamy texture to it. And so he goes, look, there's something going on with that bone in there. We're going to have to get some, we're going to have to go down the rabbit hole here and get a few more tests done. So sent me for a bone scan where they inject you with this radioactive fluid and they put you in one of those, you know, machines that's similar to a PET scan or or a CT scan, something like that. And I'm going into the machine and I'm looking up at the screen and I can see the fluid going through my body and they've gone any any sort of hot spots is what they call them any hot spot where there could be some tumor activity should start lighting up or you it, the you know the solution will go there so i'm going through this tube and i'm looking up at the screen and this it's almost like a light bulb this <laughs> this light just starts glowing in my hip and i'm looking at that gun that's not good news i get out of the machine they take me back in the office the doctor walks in and then he walks back out, goes, gets another guy and then he walks back out and there's like, next thing you know, there's like six dudes in a office. They're all looking at this scan going, eh, okay, scratching their heads. And it was kind of at that moment where I went, eh, something, something bad's happening here. So I eventually get to see a guy called Dr. Paul Staley um, and he looks at all my results to that point and he goes looks at me and Amanda was sitting next to me at the time and he looks at me and he goes, so what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a pro surfer and I'm just about to get on a plane and go and do the Hawaiian leg of the tour. So can we hurry this up? Can you just tell me what's wrong? How are we going to fix it? And I'll get the hell out of here. And he goes, so what else can you do besides surf? And I went, what are you talking about? Just like this, I'm, I told you, I'm going to Hawaii. Let's get on with this. He goes, no, I, I'm just asking what else you can do because your pro surfing days are over and i just went what what are you talking about and he goes so and then he kind of explained the whole thing he goes look this could be one of two or three things but what we're looking at is uh you know we're gonna have to have a biopsy and then after the biopsy it's it's most likely that we're gonna have to do uh some pretty radical surgery and then he goes into his drawer and he starts pulling out all these you know big prosthetic pieces of metal and he's going we'll put this one on and and if it is cancer then we'll be clicking this one we take depending on how much bone we're taking out and i'm just looking at him haven't blinked haven't i've got no saliva in my mouth just going this is the worst moment of my life i felt like the world was just you know the floor was just swallowing me up i could see amanda was just welling up as well and uh he goes look i'm going to do a biopsy on you in january get out of here you know if you want to go to hawaii go to hawaii but i'm just telling you now just be very careful don't jump off anything. If if whatever's going on inside your hip bone there, if you do something stupid and shatter that bone, you know, whatever's in there is going to spread and you're pretty much giving yourself a death sentence. So I went to Hawaii and, uh, well, we walked out of that office first and we just both collapsed in a heap just going, you know, why, why is this happening? Which which you kind of do. And at that point, it, it wasn't, even, wasn't even confirmed cancer at that point. It was just like, this is the possibility of what it could be. So I went to Hawaii. I competed um, in the Sunset event. Uh, that was the year Jared House qualified. Yep. Um, I went out. I won my first heat. I was in so much pain at that point. Like the pain had really started kicking in at that point. And I was just, I was 
starting to, to detract away from my, my normal world that I knew it and was starting to go into this like there's stuff there's something that I'm going to have to focus on here other than this whole surfing gig so I kind I, I all but ditched my next heat in sunset and I went you know what I'm just going to surf pipe paddled out a pipe in my heat I had Ren and Rosher and I think Luke Egan and I paddled out and I basically just sat there and you know there's 10,000 people on the beach pipeline at six to eight foot and Luke's frothing and Renan's frothing and I'm sitting out there just not really paddling for anything looking back at the beach at this huge crowd just going is this gonna be is this the last time I'm gonna be did you have a feeling that it was I kind of had this in the back of my mind I was going this could be the swan song here man this could be it and I came in I limped up the beach and I'm you know I kind of I keep saying, I, f- I feel like at that moment, people on the beach were probably going, Who, what's that guy doing? And like, he, how, he's even a professional surfer. He hardly even took off on a wave. Because I, I think I took off on the shoulder on a couple and just, I was so petrified of wiping out and doing... 100%. Yeah, and nailing myself that I just steered clear of it. And I huddled up the beach and, you know, I told Jake and, and my close crew what was going on. And so uh, we went home for a couple of days and I went back to America um warren kramer who was the tour surgeon doctor physician at that point he um he hooked me up with a an oncology specialist up in la at cedar sinai hospital he checked my all the scans had a very similar diagnosis or at that point of what it could be um and he goes i can do if you if you want to stay here i can do your biopsy like in a week and I was like, okay. And then the Kramers said, you know what? You can stay with us. Why don't you just have New Year's with us if you guys don't need to go home? And we didn't have kids at that point. Why don't you stay here, get the biopsy done, and we'll figure out what it is. So I stayed. I had the biopsy. Uh, and then I had to wait about um, – it was about a week. And then I got the call at the Kramers' house. And I remember Dr. Brian, Dr. Earl Brian, who was the guy that did the uh, the biopsy. And then he was the eventual the surgeon that eventually did the, the, the first major op and uh he goes look it's it's come back positive for um what's called clear cell chondrosarcoma really rare form of bone cancer um but you know it's serious he goes if we leave it it's not gonna not gonna be good um and this type of cancer it's not real it doesn't really uh react well to radiation or chemo we basically just have to get really aggressive with how much of your bone we take out so that we get clear margins for anyone who's listening who's been involved with any sort of cancer it's all about getting a margin around a tumor a clear margin um so that there's no other cancer cells within the the sort of tissue or muscle or any sort of structure around the tumor the tumor so the biopsy happened on the 2nd of August uh, of January. On the 16th of January, I went in and had the basically the top third of my femur taken out along with a whole bunch of muscle tissue out of the side of my, my thigh and hip. Um, and then that started the long road to recovery, man. It was, it was a long one. It took, you know, um, nine or ten months to get, to get back on a board. But, you know, I basically had to learn to walk again and had to learn to get around and had to go back to square one in terms of surfing you know um it was a it was a really really challenging time in life being diagnosed with cancer losing what was your dream job at that point 
um, and your life at that point changes forever. Moving forward, 2014, the Hurley Australian Open. Yeah. And this is uh, another one of those moments where I reflected later on how you would have felt. At the time, because I was commentating, I really didn't think much of it. But in 2014, like you said, you were awarded by Bob Hurley a wild card into that event. Now, talk us through, like, emotionally how you felt at that time because that event was still like a 6,000, you know, QS and it was a big deal. And I don't even know if you realise who you're up against that day, but... Yeah, I had uh, Dane that day. Dane uh, Reynolds. I'm pretty sure I had Dane yeah. Reynolds that day. And you had David Silver who actually went on to win the uh, event okay. That's at right. another time. Uh, you paddled out there, you had a lot of support, uh, but no one really thought hard about the emotional side of that because that was a big thing coming back because you're getting that goodbye moment at home at North Stane. Yeah, it's so true. And, and it was like I, I, I go back to that point where I was making, I was on a mission to see how far I could push myself and, and w- with this, I guess, disability of sorts. And so I'd started competing and I was competing for the club and I was competing in the club and I'd, uh, I think I'd won the club championship one club. year. That year? That year? Yep. Okay. Um, and I'd done a few other events as well. And then this event rolled around and somehow Bob goes, do you want the wild card? And I, I was going, really? Like I reluctantly took it because I didn't, I just didn't want to waste the spot for someone who really wanted it. But at the same time, I actually did want to put a cap on everything that had happened. And that was like, okay, you know what? You've achieved, you've gotten back to where you wanted to. And you can finally close the door on that chapter of your life. And if you never put a singlet on after that moment, it's okay. And so I paddled out and I think I didn't get through the heat, but I remember getting an eight point something ride in that heat. Um, and I probably only needed one more good wave or one more decent wave to get through. But Point four was, separated first and fourth. Yeah, moment. right. It was a close heat. And I remember coming in going, you know what? I hammered that one wave and I don't feel like I competed badly. But it was, I didn't need to win the event. I didn't need to even get through it. Just the fact that I put the jersey on at that level again because I never thought it was going to happen again. And to get that moment again was pretty cool. And to get it on home soil was amazing. And I'm so stoked that Bob gave me the opportunity to do it. Okay, let's talk about the current state of the WCT and sure. where we're at right now. Just first of all, as someone who had actually won trestles, um, my biggest downer on the tour these days is there is no trestles. 100%. Like, for me, it was my favourite venue to go to yep. and my favourite venue to watch the elite guys really do their thing. The fact that it's not on two of these days is pretty sad. Do you feel the same way? 100%. It's, it's such a shame that it's not on. Um, it's not a big spectator sport, uh, spectator location, but then again, there I are th- spots on the tour locations on the tour that are and that's that's not how in from my understanding that the tour is guided these days it's not bums on seats it's about quality surf um and giving the 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 surfers the right platform to perform on and the fact that lowers which is in my opinion one of the most high performance waves in the world um 
it's just such a shame that it's not on tour besides the fact that it's in you know mainland usa where Cali. it's a huge hub for our industry um and and it's almost like that event is almost like a a meeting of the tribe you know from at all levels in our sport so it's it's got to get back on tour let's hope one day that happens now talk about the uh you know, the coronavirus, yep. this year's tour, do you really think that it will go ahead? No, I don't think the tour is going to happen this year and I don't think they, if I was steering the boat, I'd be steering, I wouldn't even be entertaining the thought of having the tour this year. Thinking back to, um, you know, sort of Twin Towers and that year when the when we ran half a tour and it was a bit weird and, uh, you know, CJ won the title that year and, and, absolutely no disrespect to to cj you know he's a worthy world champion but there's just something about a year that there was a bunch of events missing and i mean let's face it we're you know we're getting close to halfway through the year running a six-month tour at this point just seems a bit pointless and i just don't see the travel restrictions being lifted anytime soon the international travel restrictions being lifted anytime soon so i i'd just say clip it and start again now, also, there's been an announcement recently from WSL about some changes to the format for next year. The biggest one being that there will be a world champion decided in a single day of competition, meaning that the traditional route to the world title is going to change. Yep. If it was, how do you feel towards that being a former world tour surfer? Uh, to be honest with you, I've kind of got mixed feelings about it. Um, it's hard for me to get away from that mentality of whoever does the best over a, a certain period of time and proven over a number of different locations in different wave zones, you know, should be awarded the world title. But I can totally see why the WSL want to create that final moment like we had, you know, final heat of the year at Pipeline or wherever it's going to end up being. You know, that's really exciting watching I mean, two surfers, yeah, two surfers going at it to, to be crowned the world title, to the world champion, is an amazing moment. But there was all this backstory to that that happened, all these other wins and all these other performances and seesawing battles through the whole year. So would that, would that title have been as good if we didn't have that backstory to that? I don't know. I can't answer that. Um, there was a lot of ebbs and flows from so both many. From both, not just those two guys, but a lot of guys who were in contention. Totally, yeah. So um, whether if they can, the challenge, I guess, will be to create that drama leading up to it and still recognise that person that does the best over a number of events. There needs to be some sort of accolade connected to that, and then maybe there's something that sits alongside of that. It's sort of similar to football, right? How they. There's the premiers and then there's the the, uh, well, the minor premiers, minor and, premiers the, and, the and the premiers. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. I actually think the WSL are doing a great job in making the tour more accessible to the younger generation. They're they're talking about regions on the QS. Yeah, I'm excited about that. It's unbelievable. I just think they've done a great job because my biggest gripe over the years was uh, was that. There's been guys who have come through our region of the Northern Beaches and you'd look at them and go, if they got the opportunity and could afford it, mm. they could have a real crack. Yeah. And that's, that was an issue for a lot of young guys from not only here but all around the world. I mean, 
you talk about Brazil and, you know, the Brazilian storm coming through. Um, I spoke to a lot of people over the years and they say, oh, there's a kid over there, he's unbelievable, but he just can't afford to get on tour. Well, that is now going to happen because if they do go to regions and uh, allow that to happen, it'll become more accessible to everyone. Yeah, it's, a, it's good that they've... It's basically another layer that they've put in there. Um, World Qualifying Series, Championship, uh, Challenger Series, and then the, the, uh, the Championship Tour. So those three tours, and there'll be a real stepping stone process to get on there, and I guess they're domesticating the World Qualifying Series to a certain extent, uh, which is a good thing. You know, you could almost... Maybe you can make a career for yourself just doing the QS, but certainly you would think that most people doing that QS is, are going to have aspirations on doing the Challenger Series and then eventually getting onto the World Tour. And that uh, it's also interesting that you know you could potentially that point that the WSL made that you could drop off tour, jump on the Challenger Series for a certain period, and, and still make on. the tour again. So you don't actually miss out. You know that's pretty interesting the Australian professional surfing ranks at this point, who yeah. is going to be the next guy who is going to, and girl, who's going to really, you know, raise the bar and put us into world title contention. Um, Let's go men's first. Can we go women's first? Cause I've got an answer there. <laughs> I reckon Tyler, I reckon Tyler will come back and win. Yeah. I reckon Tyler's going to come back and do really well. Um, if you're talking longer term than that though, um, I reckon Isabella Nichols is going to do amazing things yep. in the next couple of years. I reckon, like I, this whole situation that we're dealing with now, I kind of feel for the crew that were coming on and going to have their first crack. And you know, Jack Robbo and and Izzy, they were like ready to go. You know, um, so keep an eye on Izzy. Um, I mean, Tyler gave us a little hint when she came back at Manly. She looked really good. You know, Real good. she was ripping. Now, let's talk on the men's side. In the last three or four years, it's, a, it's been dominated by either Hawaiians or Brazilians. Yep. Where are we going to get our next uh, world champ from? I mean, we've been looking at Jules, obviously, to, to fly the flag for us. Um, and I, I still believe Jules can do it. 100%. I still believe Jules has a, if not some, world titles um, and maybe another one where it's just kind of let it go and let it flow a little bit more, I think, with Jules. Um, you know, he's he's had a bit on too, man, having a family and and, yep. and a couple of kids. That that takes a lot of focus away from what you're doing um, and, it, and it can be a difficult time. So he's, he's kind of through that now. Um, and without a doubt, I, with age comes maturity, um, not only in your the way that you surf, but also your mental capacity and the and way the, you think and the way you think um the way that you handle situations and you know jules has gone through various changes at a, at a coaching level and i and i just feel like he's settling into a good space now um you know he's working a lot with luke egan and uh i still see him as our as our hope to bring a uh, world title to australia so do i and i look back towards what happened with joel yeah you know what I mean? Parko was the, the example of that where everyone thought Joel would win a world title and yep. it just didn't happen. And realistically, towards the back end of his journey, Joel just put it together. Yeah. 
And I have a I have a real feel that that will happen with Jules. I, I think he has got a world title, if not multiple world titles in him. I also look at someone like Ryan and look at Ryan Cullen and go, you know what? If he got on a roll, he could be very, very dangerous. What do you think? Yeah, I think Arkell's close. I think Arkell is really close. Um, uh don't even forget, you know, Owen. I mean, his, his, his journey has been incredible, what he's come back from. Yeah. Do you think there's a world title in Owen? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I'm, not, I'm not as confident. I, I see kind of Arkell and, and Owen almost one and the same in, in having a crack at a world title. Um, and Arkell, you can tell he's done a little bit more work in the shittier surf, let's say. Yep. Um, because, you know, you kind of used to think, look, if the surf was great, Arkell's just going to blow everyone away with his power. And, mate, the dude's got the biggest biggest hooks on him. Um, amazing airs. Style kind of Luke Egan-esque, very smooth and an original look about him, which I like. Um, and I think Arkell just maybe with another year or two of experience... I think he could be right there. Um, he's put down some big heat numbers too and not gotten the nod. Like he's had some real tough battles where he's, you know, put down 16 to 18 points and still not won the heat. So um, I just think maybe one or two more years and then he'll be in a position. I look at two younger guys too that I want to get your opinion on. Jack Robbo mm-hmm. and Ethan Ewing. Those two guys for me, maybe not in the near future but down the line i think they are a possibility of really pushing top 10 maybe even world title um both those guys for me exponential improvement over the last couple of years um you know there was there was a lot of hype about ethan at the time when he first came on the tour um and like let's to put it bluntly it was a flop you know when he got on the tour he was sort of out surfed out mentally out competed um, and and you could see it got to him and he had to go back to the drawing board, which he has. He's come back. He's fitter, stronger, looks way more confident on the board, making way better decisions in heat. Um, and Jack Robbo, I, I, mate, his ability to transform from kind of a, a small wave um, walkthrough for other competitors, let's say, uh, to someone who can compete, at, you know, in a three-foot peel and little right-hander, he is as good as anyone. Um, but then step him up into that reef game, into the heavy water game, and he's he's one of the only guys who can really stand out. You know, he's in an, an elite club of maybe five or six that can dominate regardless of the conditions and how big they get. If we had a tour this year, who would be your favourite to win the world title? Um, starting now? <laughs> yeah, if we were starting now. And it's weird because if you, if you actually did start now, the whole Australian leg is gone. Yeah. And you'd be looking at maybe Indo on. So, yeah. Um, man, it's hard, to go, it's hard to go past the two Brazilians. I mean, they're always going to be there. But, you know, that back half of the year, um, the three Brazilians, I should say. Yeah. Philippe, Italo and Gab. And Gab. And then put Jules in there, put John in there, put Geordie in put, there. Maybe put Geordie in there. Um, and you've got a really exciting title race and maybe a couple of wild cards. But if I had to pick one, 
it's oh man it's hard to as much as it sort of pains me to say it you know because he's not an aussie i'm I, gabrielle's like so lethal so lethal in all of those spots in the back half of the tour you can't write him out well it's been a pleasure to have you on mate in the first ever episode of the hennessy files thanks a lot for telling your story and uh we wish you all the best going forward looking forward to catching up soon mate cheers to me it was a pleasure mate and uh yeah thanks everyone for listening The Hennessy Files podcast series, proudly presented by Aloha Surf Man. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check out next week's episode.